We're continuing and wrapping up our sermon series, a kind of little mini-series here in the summer about truth. And, uh, you know, what is truth? And, 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 and it is just so important because it's foundational for all of life is the truth. And we know that the truth is ultimately found in God, in Scripture, and in His Spirit as He guides us into this truth that is found in the Bible itself. And so today we're going to come across here this uh, kind of another expression of truth. We're going to connect it to our worship. And again, we invite or we welcome everybody who is online watching or listening to a podcast of this message today. We thank you for joining us, and we're so glad and delighted that you are here. Thank you for carving out some of your time to be with us today. You are our extended family, and we appreciate you. Today's scripture reading comes to us from John's Gospel, chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up here at verse 19 through 24. So last Sunday, as you know, I shared a little bit or referred to in my message about this woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman who kind of encountered Jesus at the well. And as you know, she was kind of shocked that Jesus would even talk to her, number one, because she was from Samaria, and number two, because she was a woman. Not only that, but she was a woman of kind of ill repute. And Jesus reaches out and he talks to her and he engages her in this conversation about water. Can you draw me some water, please? And then he goes, he he turns the corner and begins to talk about living water. And this kind of piques her curiosity. And then Jesus gets a little bit personal. She says, well, I'm going to go call my husband. And he says that and she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, oh, that's quite right. Uh, You've been with several men. And uh, so things got a little personal for her, and and she was convicted. And what do we do when things get personal? When they get a little bit too close for comfort, we we change the subject. (laughs) We we tend to divert and deflect, and we will quickly change the topic to something else. And that's, I think, what this woman is doing. So this episode of the woman at the well actually kind of evolves into something else, and today we're going to pick up that story on verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus has just kind of revealed to her that he knows all about her past, even her kind of shady past. And so this woman says in response to Jesus, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Here's changing of the subject here. Let's go into worship. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today acknowledging that we need your help, for we cannot fully understand even this passage 
without the help of your Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, teaching us. So would you, Father, just simply come and speak to us. Open our minds that we can understand. Open our ears that we can hear you. Lord, open our hands and our hearts that we can receive you. So, Lord, come now. Speak to us, we ask, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Brothers and sisters loved by God, have you ever wondered what kind of worship God likes the most? Do you know if God has a preferred worship style? If Jesus were to come to Grace Church, which service do you think he would attend? You know, does, does God, does Jesus like the, the hymn singing with organ accompaniment and piano accompaniment? Does he love those old hymns of the church, the just great hymns and just belt it out? Or might Jesus, might God like the contemporary service? You know, drums and keyboards and singers and, and we turn up the volume. Does, does God want worship to be silent and reverent? or celebrative and rambunctious. What style of worship do you think God wants? Probably no topic has been debated more in recent decades and brought more division in the church than these worship wars. They are still being fought. Some people believe that we should sing only hymns, just hymns, hymns alone. Others say it should all be contemporary. Let's worship with drums and keyboards and guitars. Some think that worship should be reverent and reserved. Others want it to be lively and loud. Sometimes we feel we should dress up when we come to church. I mean, after all, we're coming into the presence of holy God. Shouldn't we put on our very Sunday best? For others, shorts and flip-flops are just fine. Should worship be liturgical and formal or spontaneous and free? There's simply no shortage of ideas and opinions when it comes to worship. I know because I am your pastor and I've gotten an earful over the years. <laughs> pastor, that song was a real clunker. Let's not sing that again. Is there a way to keep everyone happy? Is that even the goal? Could it be that we've been so busy fighting our own little worship wars about time and style and music and volume that maybe, just maybe, we have missed something really, really important, something that cuts to the very heart of worship? What kind of worship does God like? Well, today's passage gives us probably one of the biggest clues in all of Scripture to the worship style that God desires his encounter with a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. She shifts the focus off from her own personal shortcomings. The woman tries to engage Jesus in a debate about worship, a very debatable topic, even in that day. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds, Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you, worship, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Go figure. God's worship style isn't traditional or contemporary or bluegrass or hip-hop or anything else. God's worship style is spirit and truth. In spirit and truth, for these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth. Well, I want to submit to you three things today that it means to worship in spirit and in truth to try to help us to worship better here at Grace Church. Would that be a good thing? Would that be a good thing to worship better? Wouldn't you like to bring your worship more to God on a Sunday morning and really every day of the week? Three things I invite you to take out your outline. Worshiping in spirit and in truth means, firstly, that worship is rooted It's rooted. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Worship never takes place in a vacuum. It's not as if we gather here on Sunday mornings to sing empty songs of praise to a God we don't know. That would be silly. No, worship is rooted in the God of the Bible, the God of history, and even our personal daily relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's rooted in God's character and actions, His attributes, holiness, goodness, grace, mercy, love, faithfulness, God's acts of forgiveness and love. We're not just worshiping some supreme being or mysterious universal spirit. May the force be with you. No, we're worshiping a God who can be known and who graciously has chosen to reveal himself to us, to you and me, in word and spirit. We worship the God revealed in Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, Isaiah, Esther, Job, King David, Mary and Martha, Lydia, Peter, Paul, John. We worship the God whom we know. In other words, our worship is rooted, intelligent, deep, and thoughtful. Forgive us, Lord, when we sing words and choruses without even thinking. Forgive us, Lord, when we're just mouthing phrases and going through the motions. When it becomes singing or praising or praying without engaging our mind, our thoughts, our brains. When it becomes trite or simplistic or rote and routine. Jesus said in the greatest commandment, That we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our worship should be the same. It's not empty emotionalism or excited exuberance. It's not traditionalism or nostalgia. It is worshiping God 
for who he is and what he has done. Consider a few examples from Scripture. Exodus chapter 15. Moses, presumably the author, writes, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Notice he ties it directly in with specific attributes and characteristics of God. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation. He's my Father's God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Praise him for his splendor and his holiness. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. There we are thinking about a couple of attributes of God. His holiness, his splendor, his enduring love. In Psalm 150, the psalmist simply says, Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Some very specific things. So here's my challenge for you today and every day um, that you, you can come. When you come to worship uh, on Sundays, but every day, it's, it's like orange juice. It's not just for breakfast anymore. Worship can be done every day of the week, right? You don't have to wait until Sunday morning. Okay, you can worship to whatever music you like. You can put in a CD or play a song or from your uh, podcast, whatever you do. You can worship all week long, every day, and in, frankly, we should. But I want to talk to you about Sunday mornings. When you come here on Sunday morning, my challenge to you is to come with something kind of specific in mind, maybe a particular attribute of God, His holiness, His grace, his goodness, his loving kindness. Think about something specific that God has done for you. Maybe there was an answer to prayer that came from a prayer that you prayed last week or last month or 10 years ago, but God has answered it and you are singing praises today because of that. Connect it with something specific. Maybe you saw a kind of a miracle take place. My daughter was healed. A friend of mine uh, received uh, some good news. Maybe I have been given a certain measure of health. Praise God for the beautiful sunrise, for the rain that we've had that we so desperately need. Praise God for a beautiful sunset. Praise God for His beauty and nature. Come with something specific in mind. We are not praising a God in a vacuum we are praising a real God whom we walk with and talk with and whom you know so that when I say, what are you praising God for today? What are you thankful for? Every hand goes up. You're ready to share it. Because worshiping in spirit and truth is worship that is rooted. Secondly, worshiping in spirit and in truth is worship that is regardless. Say, what, pastor? What are you talking about? By that I mean that worshiping in spirit and in truth can be done, according to this passage, regardless of location. You can worship God not just in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, that's a good place to be, but anywhere, anytime. You can worship God while out in the woods. You can worship God while riding your bike on the trail. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God in the tractor. You can worship God wherever, however you wish, at any time. That's the beauty of it. Is it this mountain or that mountain? Jesus says, no, it's anywhere, anytime, any place. 
you can worship God regardless of location. You can worship God regardless of musical style. It doesn't have to be traditional. It doesn't have to be contemporary. It doesn't have to be blended. You please nobody. Everybody's upset then. The Bible gives us examples of all types of worship, traditional, contemporary, reverent, and rambunctious, soft or loud. Worship with guitars and drums and tambourines and flutes and harps and lyres and singing. And it's interesting that what we call contemporary worship is done with the most traditional instruments. <laughs> guitars and drums, these are instruments that are mentioned way back in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in fact. It's our traditional worship, which is done by the modern organ. Maybe we should flip the names. I don't know. Probably confuse everybody. We'll just keep them the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what time, where, what means, modes, or methods are used. There's not one that's necessarily more biblical than the other. Somebody once says, oh, I don't want to go to that contemporary service. That's like bar music. I'm thinking, really? I mean, why should the devil have all the good music? Right? I mean, you know what? We can praise God. It's what goes with the music that really counts. All are acceptable to God as long as they are done well and in spirit and in truth, which means that it comes from my heart. The Bible describes ancient worship. It doesn't prescribe it. The psalmist said, let, us, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It even says to praise God with dancing, with a clash of cymbals, with resounding cymbals. In fact, it was the old King James Version that says, praise Him with loud cymbals. Thank God that we have drums and cymbals in our sanctuary, along with an organ and piano and other instruments as well. We praise God regardless of location and, and musical styles. We praise God regardless of our circumstances. To worship God in spirit and truth is not merely worshiping God in the truth of who God is, rooted, but it is also worshiping in the truth of who we are at that particular time. Even, perhaps, when we don't feel like it. When it's hard to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Or when I'm broken and I'm hurting and grieving. The psalmist said, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Sometimes we worship God in our brokenness, in our loss, in our grief, when we don't feel like it or even want to. And yet we have the assurance that God receives our sacrifice of praise as faint or feeble as it may be. Sometimes just getting here on a Sunday morning when you're tired or grieving or hurting is a task. But it's the right thing to do. Sometimes we're mad at God. We don't want to worship. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I'm mad at you, God. I hope you know. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. There's something about worship that transforms the human spirit. There's something about worship that changes our attitude even when we don't feel like it. And maybe those first few lines are a little bit forced. But when we begin to take our eyes off from ourselves and our own problems and begin to focus on God, we are transformed. We are lifted up above all of this earthly stuff. You may have big problems, but we have an even bigger God. And so we magnify God, not our problems. We worship God regardless. Regardless. Number three, worshiping in spirit and truth means not only that worship is rooted, worship is regardless, and worship is real. Worship is real. You've heard the expression, keep it real. There's a TV show, The Real. To worship in spirit and in truth means that worship flows from our inner being. It is born of the spirit, our spirit and God's as they intersect. I could not count the number of times that I've sat in church and gone through the motions, not just as a kid, but as an adult. I was sitting and standing and singing and being silent when I was supposed to, but my heart and my mind were a million miles away. And by the way, did you know that there are 13 light bulbs in the chandelier fixtures at my home church at Calvary Reformed in Holland, Michigan? Not 12, not 14, but 13 lights. I was present, but I was not present. I sang, but I did not sing. I bowed my head, but my head and my heart were not bowed before God. I think you know what I'm saying. We've all been there. It's so easy to go through the motions, which is why Jesus said to some of the Pharisees in his day, In Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart this morning? Where's your heart before God? I want to share with you seven tips, count them, seven, to keep it real that we might worship better from spirit and truth. 
I want to give you seven. I invite you to write these down. Grab your outline. Fill them in as we go. Number one, be present. Be present. The very first task that you have on Sunday morning is to get here. To make worship for you and your family a top priority. Never miss if you can help it. Let it be one of the pillars upon which you build your life and order your week. Beginning on Sunday morning with worship of our great God. But be not worship, but be not present merely physically. Be present mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and socially as well. That means preparing yourself for Sunday, getting to bed on time on Saturday night, coming to worship, being ready to offer yourself and to center yourself on God. I remember as a little boy, getting up on Sunday mornings, they were anything but worshipful at the Venetian household. Five of us kids and mom and dad all fighting for one bathroom, pounding on the door, hurry up in there, you've been in there long enough, it's my turn, I need to brush my teeth. Scurrying around frantically to get dressed, piling into the car. Dad waiting in the car with the engine running, honking the horn. Do we have everybody? Better take a count. Make sure we're all piling into the car. Speeding off to church on a Sunday morning, almost late. Getting into the parking lot. Er, Get out. Walk. Get into the church. Marching down the aisle, single file. Sitting ourselves, taking up a full row of the Vanetten family, plopping ourselves down in the pew. Good. Now we're ready to worship. Be present. Number two, participate. When you come to worship, engage in worship. Worship can be defined as the action of acknowledging God's worth. Say it with me. The action of acknowledging God's worth. The word liturgy literally means the action of God's people. Don't come expecting to be entertained or amused. Like, I dare you, pastor. Speak some words of inspiration to me. Come ready to participate to engage, to give yourselves to it. You're not coming to be entertained or amused. Don't say, I didn't get anything out of that. Ask, what did I put in to that service of worship? Which is why it's called a worship service. It is a service to God. And it invites action. Be present, participate. Number three, pay attention. Pay attention. Let me be brutally honest with you this morning. It is very distracting when people are moving around, in and out of the sanctuary, talking, thumbing through their bulletins, chatting with their neighbor, or on their cell phone during worship. Have some discipline. The time for socializing and catching up with each other is before or after entering into this sanctuary, not during a song or the sermon. When you fail to pay attention, you're not only disrespecting me as your pastor, you're disrespecting everybody around you because you're distracting them too. And most importantly, you're disrespecting God 
who sees it all. This is his time, is it not? Is this not the one hour that you can dedicate yourself before God? Don't miss what God is trying to say to you today. God has something in store for you each and every week. I'm totally convinced of it. Why would you miss that by chatting or talking or doing something else during this worship time? Pay attention. Number four, pray. When you enter into this sanctuary, take a moment to center yourself and pray. Lord, help my worship to be meaningful today. Lord, receive my worship. Lord, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need you today. Help me to worship you. When we have corporate prayers, pray in your heart. When we pray in unison, read together with others. Think about what you are doing and saying in worship. For this is your time. God has given this gift of Sunday morning worship to you. That you could reconnect and commune with him. Number five, praise. When we sing, sing. Don't just mumble through the words. Don't be talking to your neighbor. Every one of us can make a joyful noise. Even and especially if it's a new song. Sometimes I hear people grumble. Oh, pastor, that was a clunker. We're not going to do that one again, are we? The psalmist said in Psalm 33... Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. You cheer and shout at sporting events. Why not for God on Sunday morning? It's interesting that the psalmist says, sing to him a new song. Why a new song? It's because the same old ones get a little bit old and stale after a while, don't they? I think the psalmist and God are saying, keep worship fresh. Keep it fresh. What has God done for you lately? Praise Him. Sing a new song. Number six, present an offering. First Chronicles 16 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Friends, your offering is a part of worship. It is a sacrifice of praise. Even if during COVID we're putting it in the offering, we're not passing the collection plates, and maybe some of you are mailing in your offering. It's not a tax, membership dues. It's not about how much is needed to pay the bills or make budget. It's you giving your very best gift as a way of saying thank you to God for what He has done and how He has blessed you. Personally, I like to give 10% or more, the tithe. I like to make up for weeks that I have missed on vacation. I love giving to God because I have learned that you can never, ever outgive God. He will always repay and multiply it back to you. But you need to decide what's right for you. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Each man or person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. May we give our best gifts to God. Number seven, prostrate yourself before God. 
Our Catholic friends have kneeling benches. Uh, some churches do altar calls where people come and they, they fall on their knees. Maybe we don't have benches and we don't always do that, but you can still prostrate yourself, your heart, and your life before God. And this is the most important part of keeping it real. Because worship is at its fundamental core an act of surrender and humility and humbleness. It requires us to swallow our pride and acknowledge that we are not our own. We are God's people, the sheep of His pasture. Worship is an act of prostrating yourself before God. Would you do that? Every Sunday, every day. Now I am going to throw in an eighth tip. You got to squeeze it in there, write it down. Uh, no extra charge for this one here. This is free. Another one free, okay? And I don't know why I didn't think of this. I thought about it yesterday when I was cleaning out the gutters around here. Bill said my mind has been in the gutter lately, so I guess that's part of it. Uh, thank you, Calvin. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. That's between Calvin and me. You didn't hear that, but that's fine. Thank you. The eighth one is purify. Purify. I don't know why I didn't think of this one when I was in, in the office preparing this message this week because it is so important that we purify ourselves. The psalmist said, as I mentioned last week in Psalm 51, Oh, Lord, you desire truth in the innermost parts. That means fidelity, purity, being right with God, being right with your brothers and sisters, and right with others insofar as it depends on you. Purity. I'm convinced that when we come to worship, if we're harboring unconfessed sin in our lives, that it diminishes the power of the Spirit and His presence in our midst. I'm convinced of it. Because the Spirit is holy and it does not mix with sin. And if we come into this sanctuary and we're harboring sin, it diminishes the power and the presence of the Spirit. On the other hand, when we come to worship with clean hands and a pure heart, the Spirit is released and the power is felt and people are lifted up. It's a marvelous thing. Purity. Let that be the eighth P. That's all the P's I have today. So this portion was brought to you by the letter P. I don't know about you, but I love worshiping with all of you. I love firing up the praise band. I love the way Stu plays those drums and you guys, the keyboards and the guitar. We have some excellent musicians and great singers here. I love worshiping with, with you. I love worshiping with the traditional service. I love those old hymns. I, I, I was brought up on those hymns. And when I came here 23 plus years ago, I said, we're not going to dispose of those hymns. And we have no plans to get rid of that traditional service anytime soon. We're going to keep that going. And we're going to keep this one going. And we need to reach out and fill these pews. We're kind of restarting this fall. Think of it as a restart. Some people have drifted away during COVID and during the summer. It's time to come back. 
I love it when we can worship together. I love the fact that Grace Church has both a traditional and a contemporary service. Maybe someday we can do bluegrass or hip-hop. Who knows? We'll add more, you know? And I think God is pleased by all of that as long as it's done in spirit and in truth. What is God's worship style? The worshipers that God seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth. These are the worshipers that God seeks. May he find them at Grace Church. Amen. Amen. I love the amens. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for being present here, for being present in this message and in our music today, in all that we do. Lord, forgive us when we are distracted, when we're lacking discipline to focus. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not given you our very best worship. For, Lord, you and you alone are worthy. And so, Lord, we come before you to lay our hearts before you, to prostrate our lives before you, to humbly bow before you, to say that you are our God. We are your people. And as we do that, as the praises go up, may your glory and your presence come down and touch us and refresh us and renew us and heal us and forgive us. This we ask and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us